minutes and talk, <laughs> look, we're going to talk about money. If you came here, you've already, you've, you've applied consent <laughs> to this conversation versus, you know, so in 2014, which I imagine you at the Tim Hortons in Gravenhurst, just like standing in line to order her coffee and it just turns behind her and it's like, so would you like to hear about the time? That's now everybody has and a someone in that line might be up for that. I, yeah, they totally would. Tim Hortons in Gravenhurst. It's true. Everybody doesn't need financial advice either. This is not something that is a universal need for every single human. Um, it's a service that's- You don't think so? No, not in the same way, not in the same shape. I think that some people, um, definitely some people are very happy doing it on their own and can, uh, like this is, the internet is full of people that um, just want to kind of have some structure and as soon as they like have an idea of what's going on they're really happy researching and then implementing and then telling everybody about how they just have to do this and they'll be fine and some people really can value like can really benefit from working with a person like in a one-on-one -on -one relationship or finding a group a support group i just think that financial support can look like a lot of different things and it doesn't have to look like one person sitting in front of a desk in front of another person or one person sitting across a Skype camera from another person. That's a helpful thing for certain people and certain kind of experiences, but not for everyone necessarily. And especially like if, well, I'm not going to paint a, paint a dream if we have different regulatory environment or different regulations and you know, we can even out some of those things, but that's a different world. But I think in our world right now, no, this is not a service that needs to be there for everybody. And I don't think that everybody wants it. Well, I, <laughs> I don't know. I was starting to think of other um, models and I was thinking even things like therapy. If you need to access therapy, there's, you can access that for free, uh, which is not easy, but that is subsidized for the government somehow, or you can go kind of the private route. Um, so I was thinking, oh, what if like financial advice looks like that? And yeah, is this something that needs to be made accessible to everyone? Is this something that everybody needs or yeah should it all be paid should you be able to access it like like a therapy or like a healthcare that's covered somehow have we sidebar to this a little bit but have we talked about the doctor in toronto that prescribes financial counseling no uh, to his patients. I cannot remember his name for the life of me. I read about this three, four years ago now, yeah. but he was, he is so convinced that so many of the people being treated are delayed in their um, healing because they have so much stress about their money. And so that getting that part squared away and not, I mean, again, just because you go and get financial advice, it doesn't mean that that fixes the stress. If the stress is something that is not fixable just by moving money around or whatever, but there are people that he, I can, I can imagine it must be a lot of like low income retirement people too, but there are people where he just yeah. says, look, do that. And this is going to accelerate your healing. And it's not, it's not hippy dippy. I really like him and I need to look his name up. But so, but so 
Yeah. There are Sorry, Sandy, I was going to just add to that because it's something that I, I belong to a couple of groups for financial coaches, specifically in the States, some in Canada, but a bunch of them have developed a lot of relationships with um, psychiatrists and, and uh, therapy centers just to like, because there's so much, um, there's so much overlap they found, especially with financial coaches that don't necessarily do huge planning, but really work on behavioral things, working out cash flow, helping people kind of get a sense of the, the behavioral side to be like some, a lot of therapists are like, look, you need somebody who understands this a little bit better. And that kind of back and forth is something that some of them just like some of their best clients have come from that, the people that they feel like they can help the most. Um, so that, that was just another connection. I hadn't heard of the Toronto doctor. That's Gary great. Block. There he is. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you, John. Now we know. And Thank now we know. And now <laughs> everyone who listens knows too. No, it's, I think the first thing that I think about there is just like, and it does relate exactly to what John was saying is that like, there's just so many crayons in the box. Like there's so much cray, so many crayons in the financial help box and even in the like one-on-one -on -one financial help box is like does everybody need a comprehensive financial plan i i don't it's not a bad thing like that's a nice thing but i don't necessarily think but i think maybe you could make the point and i'm just kind of worrying around in my head it's like does everybody need access to some side of financial support like wherever that falls depending on their questions and and like being able to access that in the same way as you're talking about to be like whether that's more of a counselor as far as like just somebody to kind of really talk to, or that's somebody like that's really trained in a specific kind of technique or can prescribe drugs or is that, that kind of help can come in such a wide swath. Um, but if we widen the swath, then maybe everybody does need it. I, I don't know. You know what would be so cool is if, you know, in high school you have to go through career counseling mm -hmm. or you have to see a university counselor. If somehow financial counseling was part of that, yeah. Or it's like they make you sit down and look at what you want to do with your life and somehow just put in like a little bit of a, just a lifestyle portion like, hey, not just what do you want to be, but like, what do you want your life to look like? And, you know, let's factor different things into that, including money. And if you go to university or doctor school, like, yeah, to look at that. Put the money into <laughs> that instead of English. Yes, instead of math and all those things. But to me, so, you know, they, I'm sure that there are varying degrees of quality and financial literacy classes in the curriculum at school. But all of them, I feel, if they're being taught in a classroom of kids um, or adults, whatever, if it's taught in a classroom, it's generalized, right? And so you have to then infer bring that information into your own situation and be the kind of person who's curious enough to, to actually go through that mental exercise because otherwise you can kind of go through the class and calculate how much the compound interest is or whatever the things are that they're teaching you right so if you know as part of your get you ready to be an adult here let's talk about your own money situation i mean in some ways i hate the idea of being required to share that information with your smarmy guidance counselor that sucks but not all of them do yeah. i'm just projecting on my own past one really but this goes to another thing absent any regulatory change absent any really cool like financial counseling add-ons to any kind of therapy or school prep or any of that kind of stuff absent any of that i still think that the number one thing we can do 
to fight back, to resist the people who are lazily in power and like, ah, I'm not going to make any changes because it's political suicide. Or my aunt earns commissions from Edward Jones and she'd be mad at me if I passed the law or whatever the thing is that's happening. The reason that financial sales people who give mediocre or bad advice continue to have new clients is because nobody talks, not nobody, very few people speak unreservedly about their financial choices and their financial situation. Hmm. And if that wasn't a shame center anymore or a shaming center on the other side from the just crowd, being unembarrassed about people knowing numbers about you would, I think, stop those bad actors in their tracks. Because instead of saying, oh, I have a guy or whatever it is that people yeah. say, yeah. it's, oh, I went, to, I went to that person down the street and they told me these things. And we, well, we've had these conversations. That's not arcane special knowledge that they put on a robe and took out a scepter to tell me. It's just stuff that guy told me. And I already know that that's dumb because I talked to this other guy or you said this or whatever. Yeah. You know, I like the idea of the rope and the scepter, but I like, it's great, but it should be optional. <laughs> Neither here nor there. Sorry, choice. Consumer choice. <laughs> Consumer choice. If you want a rope and a scepter, you find that guy. <laughs> or, or, yeah. It's, I, I don't know if that's any easier. Like you have like a national shame center versus national policy. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's a huge, I, I, di I totally agree. It's just like, that's a, that's a huge thing to attack it's interesting because it makes you makes me think a lot about i feel like there are parallels between general sentiments around mental health um in the last you know that being something that people didn't talk about for a long time and so people didn't look for help and then so people didn't necessarily know the kind of questions that they needed to ask to find the right help and and the it, speaking personally the increased openness around although therapy is something that's in my family. So I would have seen that in the direct family, but the increased openness around people who just see therapy as this really healthy activity in their lives, whether they have like a major crisis point or not, like something that's just is, is a helpful service that has many, I'm going to go back to the crayons, um, many kind of things that it can help you with. It has made it easier. So like, is that like, is that something that are there parallels and how to look at money and kind of, change the national conversation um, in, in that sense or are they completely different? I don't think we can change the national conversation without actual government action. So this is me saying what are the little things we could do that are actually within our control? I said actually like four times in two seconds. It's terrible. But what's in our control? Well I guess we could Collar people in the street and tell them to tell us about their money. We've had this exact conversation. At the, I think it was actually the end of last season, but but I continue to believe in the power of talking about things. Arr. Yeah, I don't know what it feels I mean, like. Just, go ahead, I'm done. I, I like the idea. I'm fully supportive of having these conversations and and that was I think our whole theme for the last season of because money was trying to get some of these conversations sparked having some of them ourselves and hoping that it would spread and people would have them um, there is always a little bit of a danger when we get to like peer-to-peer -peer financial education and like people talking about it because people will be like I've got a guy 
I've, mm -hmm. I've got you know a person who sells me these mutual funds and so I am investing for my future and taking care of it and then they pull up the other person in and I mean it can be challenging too because if you don't have a lot of knowledge it's hard to know who is an expert and who to trust because yeah um, not having a financial related credential being like well I've got a PhD I can I know how to research and I've self-taught myself as an expert in this and people are like but you don't have a cfp you don't have an mfda license like my guy's got an mfda license he knows more than you about investing and so i'm going to go and believe him and what he says and not listen to you and i'm like no but like i spend many hours of my free time learning about this a lot i know what i'm talking about if you were like no i wrote the book i'm just I wrote gonna go the book yeah and and like that's me so uh when you have someone else who's like oh i listened to the because money podcast i've done some research here's you know what i'm doing with my investments we should have a conversation about this then it's quite possible you'll get that expertise pushback of yeah but my guy is an expert and, and i pay and again my person i should say uh is an expert and uh and and they are selling me these funds and yeah but remember what we're talking about is not peer-to-peer -peer financial education it's disengaging the concept of being rich and having complicated solutions to your problems. Hold on. I'm thinking as the words are coming out of my face, bear with me. It's good. And whether you're actually a valuable person that's worth spending time with or not, <laughs> whether you're worth spending time. That's, that's not, that's beside the point. Cause wow. This I'm has not, been another but, episode of binary conversation. No, no, I get you. <laughs> but this idea, like, uh, I have a guy yeah. because, because simple solutions are for people who are not as financially successful as me. I am the kind of person that has a guy. Yes. But if, if yeah. I, John, I know you, you seem, you've got it together, man. I love your your little girl is so cute with her selling lemon and all, whatever the, th whatever the social cues are that make me want to be friends with you or admire you from afar. Cause I think you're actually Matthew Inman or whatever those things are hearing, Oh, you manage your own portfolio and it's in TDE series, or whatever the thing is, right? Like, Oh, interesting. Oh, and you've chosen to rent because of, Oh, wow. That's really interesting. It's not, it, I'm not articulating it very well, but no. You are. Well, I think you are, and, and you're right. I was being too focused on the negatives, and I mean, I do, I do as much as I wanted to bring up the potential negatives. I do believe this is something that people should do more: is uh, try to open the kimono. I find that difficult myself, so I know that it's a challenge. But I mean, even even though I'm not out there, like, hey, here's how much I have in my TFSA. Here's my non-registered. Here's how much. Actually, I do talk a lot more about. Uh, Blueberries RESP than any of the other accounts. I don't. I don't know what it is with that one. If it's just because it's like more understandable, or just feels <laughs> less like a brag, or, or what? But to be like, yes, I've put away, you know, just over two thousand five hundred every year since she was born into this account. The government gave me an extra five hundred on top of that. And I've flattered into TDE series, and here's how it looks. And I've shown her the account balance so that we can have this conversation about saving up for university. And then she ends up like saying that she's never going to move out. And I'm like, that's fine. You don't have to decide. You're six. <laughs> but when you turn nine, just so you know, I want some thoughts on it. <laughs> yep.
deadline. <laughs> Talk, clock is ticking, man. Yeah, I, I mean, like at this point, she's six. I'm just trying to like let her know that there are we're thinking in the future. She doesn't have to at this point, but long-term <laughs> plans are getting made, and at some point, she will start to think about long-term plans. See, I think this is really interesting because we find it very easy. Well, I shouldn't say that. I find it easier to connect with other people about things that traditionally have had like shame attached. Like my, am I a good parent or not? I should be doing these things around parenting because it's so obvious that I have kids obviously because they're here, they're visible, but connecting with other parents about kids, it's really easy. Just you're standing side, you don't have to enter into the conversation. You're standing side by side. You're at the park and you're like, Oh man, did your kid have a hard transition into grade one? Like it could be apropos of nothing and you could immediately be into like child psychology and developmental things or whatever. But when it comes to other stuff, that's not quite so obvious. Like, I don't know what people think when they look at me, but we're not going to stand side by side in the park and go, Oh man, can you believe that? I don't even know. My car is 14 years old and looks like a pile of crap. I don't even know what that thing is. right? Like, Do you ever start those conversations? Cause oh, I found I've, no about like more related to money like that like but kind of with that same thing i've started doing that a little bit just sort of like almost a behavioral experiment to see what people do um but talking about like i sold my car recently and like why i did that and to get into numbers of what it was costing me and kind of like that trade-off and like how much i pay for rent and it's cool because when you open up about any of that people are like right in it and then I get like flooded with like so much back from someone and it's like it's like they've never been able to talk about it before and they're like oh my gosh and I found that really interesting like my experience when I do open up about it is it's it's similar to that like your well I'm not a parent so I don't know but it's that I don't know I don't find that people have been off put by it I've actually found I've like really bonded with some people over that I think the difference between us is that you talk to people and I don't. <laughs> In that might face. Be the only difference. <laughs> but I think that's, but I think you're right because if you, Provided you are, I mean, you're putting it out in a conversation, not in a way that's clearly leading to also, by the way, I sell insurance, come to my office next Tuesday. People, I, I think there is a deep hunger to talk about that kind of stuff in a way that's normal, but they don't have any opening and nobody wants to start the conversation themselves. So I'm not surprised at all by that. It's just, I don't have those experiences. <laughs> and that does, mm, that does seem to be in person, not an online thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's harder online because if you feel like somebody can swoop into that conversation and, and, just kind of in, inject something else, even if it's just the fear of that. Online's scary. Yeah, the swoopers, man. Oh, I did it. <laughs> the swoopers person, moop guy. I don't know, sorry. Um, you have actually, though, the way that you've talked about it, from, for all that this is now, you know, seven months after having that conversation at the end of last season, and me thinking about it regularly, be that hard. I mean, I guess I'd have to have a conversation with a live person, but it wouldn't be that hard to try it and call it an experiment. And maybe it would help me in other ways, but just to see sort of if there are other people, cause I let you know me, I love talking about that stuff. 
papers and do that. Like a parent council meeting or something. I could do that. Actually, this, so, you know, when you were saying that too, it made me wonder. There are lots of different um, kind of speakers or, you know, parent engagement seminars that happen. In particular, we organize them through school council. And one thing that people tend to shy away from is having a kind of a financial workshop type thing. Again, I'm thinking not, not financial literacy for the students, but kind of one of the add-ons, the kind of area that we're in, in our school, we serve kind yeah. of an interesting population, all that stuff. And I wonder if it's less because they're not interested, don't want to talk about it. It's more because one, who would they get? And two, uh, they're not sure that they're safe to have that conversation yet. But yeah, and that's hard when it's a group too. Mm. Yeah. I think, yeah. It can, it can work in a group. It, it's, it's easier, you know, with the workshops that I've done, it's like, it's easier if the group knows each other. Um, mm. It's easier if the group kind of like has some kind of rapport. Um, but it can happen in a group that doesn't know each other. It's just, you just, you can kind of, it's, I don't know if safe spaces just exist before you can say anything. You know, it's tempting to just be like, no, no, I'm going to wait till this sa this space is really safe before I can say something. It, it, I don't, I don't know if that gets to be the thing very often, especially if you're talking about more than one person. Um, I think that somebody has to be the person that steps out first and, and, and shares that and, and kind of leads, leads that in. And, and, and I think in a workshop situation too, it's, it's nice to just be, try to start out by being like, this is some of my shit <laughs> right now. Like we're starting with that so that you know that this is not the kind of conversation where I stand up at the front and I know all the things and you are less and you're trying to get to that place. So we all have to have that kind of like pissing contest because I've been in groups like, I'm sure we've all been in groups like that. We're just, the only thing that gets said are the things that seem impressive. So you're like, oh, that, and you, everybody's whipping out those things that they've heard. Oh, but I heard that, and it's just like, it just gets bad versus just being like, this is really hard, you know, or this is, these are things that I've struggled with in the past and just kind of like trying to, you know, I know that, Kate, you've talked about before about being some of those group settings, um, where that's worked really well. And it, when it happens, it can be a really cool thing. It does feel like, like, um, I always think about Shannon Lee Simmons book and those kind of describing some of those conversations she had with her friends where it's just like those kind of like just relief moments where it's just, everybody's kind of holding something back and all of a sudden you'd be like, Oh, me too. Oh, I'm so worried about it. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know anyone else was faking this. Like. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, one day I'm just waiting for the entire world to be like, yeah, we don't like beer either. It's just <laughs> oh, that sorry. And everybody just spits it back into their can. Brett Kavanaugh oh, likes it too much. He can like fine. it for every. Coke Zero is the drink of kings. Like uh... <laughs> no, he, even he'll be just like, no, no, I don't even like it. I just hate my feelings. <laughs> I lied about that too. Okay. Wow. Okay. Well, now we're just <laughs> yeah, well, now I got so specific. <laughs> Super specific. I like beer. That's so apparently that's not going to happen. Yeah. yeah. No, I am. Um, I would be really interested to see how much people cringe away from 
if they do. I, my suspicion is they do, but that's, again, it's all tied up in this kind of thing about in-person conversation. Um, but if I just, what you know, like, oh, open with, oh no, sorry. This is just all very stream of consciousness. You cannot open a conversation with someone by saying, hey, do you want to hear about that time in 2014 where everything went to shit? <laughs> do you? This is the nice thing about having an actual workshop setting, you know? It's not just like you sitting in front of a group of people and being like, I'm going to... People came there for a reason, right? If you have right. a little bit of a theme, it's just like, <laughs> look, we're going to talk about money. If you came here, you've already... You've, you've applied consent <laughs> to this conversation versus, you know... So in 2014, which I'm at the Tim Hortons in Gravenhurst, just like standing in line to order her coffee and it just turns behind her. And it's like, so would you like to hear about the time? That's now everybody has. And a someone in that line movie. might be up for that. I, yeah, they totally would. Tim Hortons in Gravenhurst. It's true. Uh, but it, I think there is a certain sense, like in the same way that like when you're looking at and a one-on-one -on -one help thing, it's like timing is important. It's not like, this isn't a conversation that I think should be forced on everybody. It just, it should be something that is an option for people that want to talk. And that's where it's, that's where that doesn't exist. It's just like, it's not that, you know, there's people that are like, they just don't have the capacity for that conversation right now and they shouldn't be forced to, it's not, it's not like another thing that everybody should be doing, but, um, it's not something that a lot of people have an avenue for at all. And I think that it's, a, I think that's kind of where I was coming from before. And I was like, it's not for everybody. It's not that money isn't for everybody, but it's just like, is this, if I could wave a magic wand and kind of give everybody like a financial Jiminy cricket, although that sounds awesome. You know what? Maybe that'd be great. Maybe do that. Let's yeah, pick yeah, that Yeah, actually one. let's we'll do that. But like, it's, it's not like, it's, it's not necessarily that everybody should be doing this all the time. Everybody's doing lots of things. Um, but but it, it should be available to the people that are in the place where they need it or they're asking those questions or they need that support. Um, yeah. And I think that's what's both so satisfactory about, oh, speak to people when they're ready for it. And so unsatisfactory because satisfactory, like that is actually how in my view of the world, change happens. One at a time, gradually, messily, nuanced, yeah. relationally. So that, so that lines up with how I think everything goes. But it's deeply unsatisfactory because again, things are messy and while yes, that's how I think things go and it's right and it's how things line up, fuck, I just want things, I just wanna say, this is available to everyone Please take advantage of it. Done. Problem solved. I just want things to be tidy sometimes. So it, and it's not, it's not going to change anything except for gradually. And that is deeply unsatisfactory. That is deeply unsatisfactory. As in life. <laughs> it's, I don't know. I, I'm still really, I'm interested in this kind of like, there's more of a connection. I, I like what you were talking about before, John, about just like drawing the connection, which is something I didn't really see. Like this kind of fee conversation feels, I understand the shittiness of, of that and how, but it, it has for a long time felt, it feels a little bit more connected to 
an actual real life, not just my life as it connects to the financial industry. That kind of like, it, it's part of this conversation and it does relate. It's, I don't know, I, I don't quite have the words for it, but it, there's more of a connection and, and it's what you were saying before. Um, between this kind of like really specific technical conversation and the like, the, the effect that it has on how we sort the availability of help and what we look for in that conversation and how we view that conversation and the way it's phrased and then the way it trickles down and then the way that we have it on the ground and like between each other, which is very, very interesting. And I hadn't really thought about that before. Yeah. And, and there's lots of um, sort of default assumptions we make about our lives and the way the world is that, uh, you know, you don't have to have with a professional, just talking them out can sometimes help. Like, you know, if a promotion comes up in front of you, uh, I would say a huge part of the time, like it's just automatically assumed, great, I've got this promotional opportunity, I'm going to go and take it. Uh, but I know some people that have said, well, no, like, I'm aware that the Peter principle is the thing. And if I take this promotion, my entire way that I relate to my job is going to change. So yeah, it'll be more money and more responsibility. But is that actually right for me in my life? And I've known one or two people that have said, no to moving up into management because they didn't want that for themselves and they didn't think they'd be happy there and uh, they prefer to stay in you know a technical role or whatever it is that they're doing and that's something you can talk about with a planner but it's also a conversation you have with your friends and families and i think a lot of the time some of these conversations we just automatically assume the answer and, and don't even talk it out like you don't have to come to a conclusion with the other person but even sort of rambling about it can help and being open to having those sorts of conversations can help your emotional state of mind a lot too well because it i don't know I, and i'm a broken record here but it's like it really does come back to it's kind of big personal questions of, of putting it within your own context. You know what I mean? Like it's really tempting to think that it's like that there's an absolute number that you should spend on this and the absolute number you should be saving and the exact right tools that you should be using, but there's not. Have we talked about reflective IQ before? I don't know. We should talk about it again. So, we have. so I mean, notwithstanding that even the concept of IQ being a way to accurately define someone's real intelligence as if there is a, a baseline for that. Okay, leave that aside. The concept of IQ being something that kind of is in stages and can increase over time or whatever, there is this, so, and then we got, okay, we moved from in, intelligence quotient to emotional IQ, right? So your ability to navigate the messiness of relationships and, you know, not totally blow things up, but whatever. Um, but also reflective IQ is the ability that is um, learned over time and can be improved of navel gazing essentially, but looking back into yourself, so what did I learn from that? Or asking yourself why, why would I want that promotion? Again, to avoid default thinking and default acting, mm -hmm. this ability to look inward and, and really reflect um, and, and draw actionable conclusions from your responses to past experiences. Um, and so the reason I bring it up here, of course, is because um, financial literacy, one thing, um, ability to have conversations with other people and not, again, to disengage your financial decision-making from your sense of worth as a person um, by, by connecting other 
worthy people in your life to maybe bad or good or indifferent financial decisions instead of assuming that if they're good people, they must make good financial decisions. And then this third thing of being able to design your life around what you observe from it. Um, I think that's a, I, I think that's a really um, interesting combination. I don't have anything tidy to say about it, but that's what made me think about it. It's like what you were saying last time about siloing problem solving. Um, you know, it, it's easy to silo. It's like, no, no, self-reflection is not a financial problem. Like that we solve financial problems with financial tools. Money you know, we use, it's a money problem. So we will use a budget. And when self-reflection is an incredibly valuable tool, reflective IQ, which sounds so much, you know, more official than self-reflection. Um, but, but it, it, it's such an important part of actually trying to create your own context and picking the right tools. And, and that makes a lot of, a lot of sense. And it's looking at it in more of a holistic way, but, but that overly, that makes things more complicated when you open it up. It's, it's, it brings you farther away from that hopeful, simple solution that you still, I still desperately kind of look for on uh, and hope will just kind of be around the corner, even though I, I know that's not the thing. So essentially the prescription for any of the, any of the problems is become a better person. I, I that's, I mean, I think that's where we came. No, become a better person. No, I think it's, it's to know the person that you are. I think it's to oh, try like to, better. That's it's to try to decrease the gap between like this person that you think you should be. And therefore that's where the disappointment is that inadequacy gap and try to actually bring the fingers together and be like, no, who am I actually with my shit that I don't do well and the stuff that I do do well and the stuff that, and my available finite resources of time and energy and money and what can I do with them? How can I promote that to, to build a life? And that's super hard to come to in like an acceptance point with that. Um, but it's not, I think that, I have gone down way worse paths when I've tried to be a better person versus being like, who am I actually? And how can I maybe kind of like be a better version of that versus like beating myself up constantly because I'm not doing this, which isn't actually possible anyways, but I'm deciding that it is. This is where we plug the book designing your life, I think. And also everything by Brene Brown. Done. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I mean, there was a, I love Douglas Adams and I've read all the books and whatnot, but there is a speech that he was giving many, many years ago uh, where he was talking about what he wanted to do with his life. And he said, you know, I wanted to grow up to be John Cleese, but of course the job was taken. <laughs> so he grew up to be his own person with his own sense of humor and whatnot. And uh, you're talking about like, you know, how do you develop into you know, the future version, the better version of yourself that you want to be. And to get from where you are to that future version, first off, you have to do some self-reflection and whatnot to try to think of what that future version is going to look like. And sometimes that's really helpful to do in a conversation with someone, which is maybe a financial planner that you pay. It can you know, be. A, can be. Can be. It doesn't have to be. Mm -hmm. And then that maybe comes back to our conversation about, you know, does everyone need financial advice? Does everyone need another person to help them define even what these end states are, what these goals are, how they want to get there? Um, but 
that's something that you can talk about with a financial planner. Again, if you're paying them for their time, I think that's more likely to happen than if you're paying them for products. Um, but then also, like, how do you actually get there? And part of that is going to be, you know, uh, your own um, non-financial aspects of your life that you're going to work on. Like, oh, if I want to get to uh, be someone who is 65 and golfing, I need to stay in good enough shape that I can still carry a bag of golf clubs around the course at 65. So I need to do some dieting and some exercise and what have you. But I might also need to save some money and invest it so that I can pay for my green fees and whatnot. And then it all sort of comes together. And like your finances are not this alien thing that sort of, you know, living outside of your life it it's yeah. there too and we just it's hard to think about it like that that because it happens sort of invisibly in the background like you know brushing your teeth so you can still eat solid foods when you're 65 like you just do it and stop thinking too hard about it and yeah. sometimes you have to have that sort of time to pause and think about it and then let it happen in the background and i don't know if i got a coherent thought about there, <laughs> there was a couple of coherent thoughts in there i think I don't think we're, we're not, we're not trying to sell coherent thoughts here. I feel like that's a high bar actually. (laughs) One of the things I've really, my favorite things to tell clients and and to remind myself all the time lately has been, you know, I want you to feel like you belong in your money. Like this just sends that, that kind of alienation, just like that you belong in your finances that you not some version of you that is not a real version, but you, the imperfect ball of loveliness, um, belongs in your bank account and belongs in the way you spend and belongs in your investments. And I think that that's a good starting place. And it just, products are like step five of that. They're actually step five. (laughs) No, on the the six set step system, I a classic step five. <laughs> Nailed it. It's technical, very technical. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Chris Entz, and I'm an advice only financial planner at ragstoreasonable.com. And I'm Sandy Martin. I'm an advice only financial planner at springplans.ca. I'm John Robertson. I'm the author of The Value of Simple, a practical guide to taking the complexity out of investing. You can find my blog at holypotato.net. I'm Kate Smalley. I'm a financial marketer, and you can find me and all my links at katesmalley.com. If you liked what you heard, please go to iTunes and leave us a fantastic review. It helps us, helps more people find the podcast. And if you really liked what you heard, check us out at Patreon, Patreon slash Because Money, and uh, donate a small amount per podcast. It helps us keep the show running. Have a great week.